Chapter Nineteen, Part One of Moonfleet. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jamie Ash Young. Moonfleet by J. Mead Faulkner. Chapter Nineteen, On the Beach. Tall for the brave, the grave that are no more, All sunk beneath the wave, fast by their native shore. Cowper The night was cold, and I had nothing on me Save breeches and boots, and those drenched with the sea, And had been wrestling with the surf so long That there was little left in me. Yet once I clutched the rope, I clung to it for very life, and in a minute found myself in the midst of the beachmen. I heard them shout again, and felt strong hands seize me, but could not see their faces for a mist that swam before my eyes, and could not speak because my throat and tongue were cracked with the salt water, and the voice would not come. There was a crowd above me of men and some women, and I spread out my hands, blindly, to catch hold of them, but my knees failed and let me down upon the beach. And after that I remember only having coats flung over me, and being carried off out of the wind, and laid in warmest blankets before a fire. I was numb with the cold, my hair was matted with the salt, and my flesh white and shriveled, but they forced liquor into my mouth, and so I lay in drowsy content till utter weariness bound me in sleep. It was a deep and dreamless sleep for hours, and when it left me, gently as it were, inch by inch, I found I was still lying wrapped in blankets by the fire. Oh, what a vast and infinite peace was that, to lie there half asleep, yet wake enough to know that I had slipped my prison and the pains of death, and was a free man here in my native place. At last I shifted myself a little, growing more awake, and opening my eyes saw I was not alone, for two men sat at a table by me with glasses and a bottle before them. He is coming too, said one and may live yet to tell us who he is, and from what port his craft sailed. There has been many a craft, the other said, has sailed for many a port, and made this beach her last, and many an honest man has landed on it, and never one alive in such a sea, nor would this one be living either, if it had not been for that other brave heart, to stand by and save him. Brave heart, brave heart, he said over to himself. Here, pass me the bottle or I shall get the vapors. Tis good against these early chills, and I have not been in this place for ten years past since poor Elzevir was cut adrift. I could not see the speaker's face from where I lay upon the floor, yet seemed to know his voice, and so fumbling in my weakened mind to put a name to it, when he spoke of Elsevier, and sent my thoughts flying elsewhere. 
"'Elsevier,' I said. "'Where is Elsevier?' And sat up to look around, expecting to see him lying near me, and remembering the wreck more clearly now, and how he had saved me with a last shove forward on the beach. But he was not to be seen, and so I guessed that his great strength had brought him round quicker than had my youth, and that he was gone back to the beach. "'Hush!' said one of the men at the table. "'Lie down and get to sleep again.' And then he added, speaking to his comrade, "'His brain is wandering yet. Do you see how he has cut up my words about Elsevier?' "'No,' I struck in. "'My head is clear enough. I am speaking of Elsevier Block. I pray you, tell me where he is. Is he well again?' They got up and stared at one another and at me when I named Elsevier Block, and then I knew the one that spoke for Master Radsey, only grayer than he was. "'Who are you?' he cried. "'Who talk of Elsevier Block?' "'Do you not know me, Master Radsey?' And I looked full in his face. "'I am John Trenchard, who left you so long ago.' I pray you, tell me where is Master Block. Master Ratsey looked as if he had seen a ghost, and was struck dumb at first, but then ran up and shook me by the hand so warmly that I fell back again on my pillow, while he poured out questions in a flood. How had I fared? Where had I been? Whence had I come? Until I stopped him, saying, Softly, kind friend, and I will answer. Only tell me first, where is Master Elsevier? Nay, that I cannot say, he answered, for never a soul has set eyes on Elsevier since that summer morning we put thee and him ashore at Newport. Oh, fool me not, I cried out, chafing at his excuses. I am not wandering now. Twas Elsevier that saved me in the surf last night, "'Twas he that landed with me.' "'There was a look of sad amaze that came on Ratsey's face when I said that. "'A look that woke in me an awful surmise. "'What?' cried he. "'Was that Master Elsevier that dragged thee through the surf?' "'Aye, t'was he landed with me, t'was he landed with me,' I said, trying as it were, to make true by repeating that which I feared was not the truth. There was a minute's silence, and then Ratsey spoke very softly. There was none landed with you. There was no soul saved from that ship alive, save you. His words fell, one by one, upon my ear as if they were drops of molten lead. It is not true, I cried. He pulled me up the beach himself, and it was he that pushed me forward to the rope. Ay, he saved thee, and then the undertow got hold of him and swept him down under the curl. I could not see his face, but might have known there was never a man, save Elsevier, could fight the surf on Moonfleet Beach like that. Yet had we known twas he, we could have done no more. For many risked their lives last night to save you both. We could have done no more. 
Then I gave a great groan for utter anguish, to think that he had given up the safety he had won for himself, and laid down his life there on the beach for me. To think that he had died on the threshold of his home, that I should never get a kind look from him again, nor ever hear his kindly voice. It is wearisome to others to talk of deep grief, and beside that no words, even of the wisest man, can ever set it forth, nor even if we were able could our memory bear to tell it. So I shall not speak more of that terrible blow, only to say that sorrow, so far from casting my body down, as one might have expected, gave it strength and I rose from the mattress where I had been lying. They tried to stop me, and even to hold me back, but for all I was so weak, I pushed them aside, and must needs fling a blanket round me, and away back to the beach. The morning was breaking as I left the why not, for twas in no other place but that I lay, and the wind, though still high, had abated. There were light clouds crossing the heaven very swiftly, and between them patches of clear sky where the stars were growing paler before the dawn. The stars were growing paler. But there was another star that shone out from the manor wood above the village, although I could not see the house, and told me Grace, like the wise virgins, kept her lamp alight all night. Yet even that light shone without luster for me then, for my heart was too full to think of anything but of him who had laid down his life for mine, and of the strong, kind heart that was stilled forever. T'was well I knew the way, so sure of old, from why not to beach, for I took no heed to path or feet, but plunged along in the morning dusk, blind with sorrow and weariness of spirit. There was a fire of driftwood burning at the back of the beach, and round it crouched a group of men in reefing jackets and sou'westers, waiting for morning to save what they might from the wreck. But I gave them a wide berth, and so passed in the darkness without a word, and came to the top of the beach. There was light enough to make out what was doing, the sea was running very high, but with a falling wind the waves came in more leisurely and with less of broken water, curling over in a tawny sweep and regular thunderous beat all along the bay for miles. There was no sign left of the hull of the Oring Zeb, but the beach was strewn with so much wreckage as one would have thought could never come from so small a ship. There were barrels and kegs, gratings and hatch covers, booms and pieces of masts and trucks, and beside all that, the heaving water inshore was covered with a floating mask of broken matchwood, and the waves, as they curled over, carried up and dashed down on the pebble planks and beams beyond number. There were a dozen or more of men on the seaward side of the beach, with oilskins to keep the wet out, prowling up and down the pebbles to see what they could lay their hands on, and now and then they would run down almost into the white fringe, risking their lives to save a keg 
as they had risked them to save their fellows last night, as they had risked their lives to save ours, as Elzevir had risked his life to save mine, and lost it there in the white fringe. I sat down at the top of the beach, with elbows on knees, head between hands, and face set out to sea, not knowing well why I was there or what I sought, but only thinking that Elzevir was floating somewhere in that floating skin of wreckwood, and that I must be at hand to meet him when he came ashore. He would surely come in time, for I had seen others come ashore that way, for when the Batavia man went down on the beach, I stood as near her as our rescuers had stood to us last night, and there were some aboard who took the fatal leap from off her bows and tried to battle through the surf. I was so near them I could mark their features and read the wild hope in their faces at the first, and then the undertow took hold of them, and never one that saved his life that day. And yet all came to beach at last, and I knew them by their dead faces, for the men I had seen, hoping against hope, twixt ship and shore, some naked and some clothed, some bruised and sorely beaten by the pebbles and the sea, and some sound and untouched, all came to beach at last. So I sat and waited for him to come, and none of the beach-walkers said anything to me, the Moonfleet men thinking I came from Ringstave, and the Langton men that I belonged to Moonfleet, and both that I had marked some cask at sea for my own, and was waiting till it should come in. Only after a while Master Ratsey joined me, and sitting down by me, begged me to eat bread and meat that he had brought. Now I had little heart to eat, but took what he gave me to save myself from his importunities, and having once tasted, was led by nature to eat all, and was much benefited thereby. Yet I could not talk with Ratsey, nor answer any of his questions, though another time I should have put a thousand to him myself, and he, seeing twas no good, sat by me in silence, using a spy-glass now and again to make out the things floating at sea. As the day grew, the men left the fire at the back of the beach, and came down to the sea-front, where the waves were continually casting up fresh spoil. And there all worked with a will, not each one for his own hand, but all to make a common hoard, which should be divided afterwards. Among the flotsam moving outside the breakers, I could see more than one dark ball, like black buoys, bobbing up and down, and lifting as the wave came by, and knew them for the heads of drowned men. Yet though I took Ratsey's glass and scanned all carefully enough, I could make nothing of them, but saw the pinnace floating bottom up, and farther out another boat deserted and down to her gunwale in the water. T'was midday before the first body was cast up, when the sky was breaking a little, and a thin and watery sun trying to get through, and afterwards three other bodies followed. They were part of the pinnace's crew, for all had the iron ring on the left wrist, as Ratsey told me, who went down to see them, though he said nothing of the branded why, 
and they were taken up and put under some sheeting at the back of the beach, there to lie till a grave should be made ready for them. Then I felt something that told me he was coming, and saw a body rolled over in the surf, and knew it for the one I sought. Twas nearest me he was flung up, and I ran down to the beach, caring nothing for the white foam, nor for the undertow, and laid hold of him. For had he not left the rescue line last night, and run down into the surf to save my worthless life? Ratsy was at my side, so between us we drew him up out of the running foam, and then I wrung the water from his hair, and wiped his face and, kneeling down there, kissed him. When they saw that we had got a body, others of the men came up, and stared to see me handle him so tenderly. But when they knew at last, I was a stranger and had the iron ring upon my wrist, and a Y branded upon my cheek, they stared the more, until the tale went round that I was he who had come through the surf last night alive, and that this poor body was my friend, who had laid down his life for me. Then I saw Ratsy speak with one and another of the group, and knew that he was telling them our names, and some that I had known came up and shook me by the hand, not saying anything because they saw my heart was full, and some bent down and looked in Elzevir's face, and touched his hands as if to greet him. Sean Stones had been merciful with him, and he showed neither bruise nor wound, but his face wore a look of great peace and his eyes and mouth were shut. Even I, who knew where twas, could scarcely see the Y mark on his cheek, for the paleness of death had taken out the colour of the scar, and left his face as smooth and mellow white as the alabaster figures in Moonfleet Church. His body was naked from the waist up, and he had stripped for jumping from the brig, and we could see the great broad chest and swelling muscles that had pulled him out of many a desperate pass, and only failed him, for the first and last time, so few hours ago. They stood for a little while, looking in silence at the old lander who had run his last cargo on Moonfleet Beach, and then they laid his arms down by his side, and slung him in a sail, and carried him away. I walked beside, and as we came down across the sea meadows, the sun broke out and we met little groups of schoolchildren making their way down to the beach to see what was doing with the wreck. They stood aside to let us go by, the boys pulling their caps and the girls dropping a curtsy when they knew that it was a poor drowned body passing, and as I saw the children I thought I saw myself among them, and I was no more a man but just come out from Mr. Glennie's teaching in the old almshouse hall. Thus we came to the why not, and there set him down. The inn had not been let, as I learned afterwards, since Maskew died, and they had put a fire in it last night for the first time, knowing that the brig would be wrecked, and thinking that some might come off with their lives, and require tending. The door stood open, and they carried him into the parlour, where the fire was still burning, and laid him down on the trestle-table, covering his face and body with the sail. This done, they all stood round a little while, awkwardly enough, 
as not knowing what to do, and then slipped away one by one, because grief is a thing that only women know how to handle, and they wanted to be back on the beach to get what might be from the wreck. Last of all went Master Ratsy, saying he saw that I would as lief be alone, and that he would come back before dark. So I was left alone with my dead friend, and with a host of bitterest thoughts. The room had not been cleaned, there were spider-webs on the beams, and the dust stood so thick on the window-panes as to shut out half the light. The dust was on everything, on chairs and tables, save on the trestle-table where he lay. T'was on this very trestle they had laid out David's body, "'Twas in this very room that this still form, "'who would never more know either joy or sorrow, "'had bowed down and wept over his son. "'The room was just as we had left it an April evening years ago, "'and on the dresser lay the great backgammon board, "'so dusty that one could not read the lettering on it. "'Life is like a game of hazard. "'The skilful player will make something of the worst of throws.' But what unskillful players we had been! How bad our throws! How little we had made of them! End of chapter 19, part 1 Recording by Jamie Ash Young Moonfleet by J. Mead Faulkner